Welcome to the Albany Update with Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Now, with this week's Albany Update, here's Jason McGuire. In this week's episode of the Albany Update, we discuss how age verification laws are causing a decline in pornography viewing in several states. Then, as if we needed one more reason not to indulge in cannabis use, we note that marijuana is now being linked to mental illness. And finally, we'll cover two culture stories, one looking at the reasons for declining church attendance and the other celebrating the institution of marriage. Let's get started. So first up today, there's an innovative new Louisiana law that has proven highly effective in combating the pornography industry. Similar laws are springing up in other places and are receiving bipartisan support. Sadly, in the internet age, pornography has become widely available. That availability has helped pornography to become a massive worldwide industry. One popular pornographic website reportedly received 42 billion visits, or 115 million visits per day during the year 2019. A 2022 survey showed that 44% of American men and 11% of American women had viewed pornography at least once within the past month. Earlier this year, a survey from Common Sense Media indicated that 54% of American youths had viewed pornography before age 13. That's internet pornography. While 15% had seen it by age 10. Pornography use by young people is connected to sexual misconduct and mental health problems. In February, Albany Update noted that Louisiana had passed a law requiring pornographic internet websites to implement age verification mechanisms to ensure that their viewers are at least 18 years old. In other words, the law mandates that users of pornography provide government identification as proof of age, much like state laws that require proof of age for purchasers of alcohol or tobacco. It appears that the Louisiana law has led to a major decrease in pornography use. One popular pornographic website that has opted to comply with the law has experienced a staggering 80% decrease in usage in the state of Louisiana. Doubtless, this decrease is caused in part by youths being unable to access the website. However, it is also likely that many adults are opting against using the website because they do not want to reveal their identities. According to Politico, the states of Arkansas, Montana, Mississippi, Utah, Virginia, and Texas have passed laws similar to Louisiana's. Significantly, those laws were passed by overwhelming margins in legislatures controlled by both parties and signed into law by Democratic and Republican governors alike. In four of those states, rather than implementing user age verification, the popular pornographic website mentioned above has ceased operating altogether. When people in those three states visit the website, they see only an announcement about why the website is no longer operational. One spokesman for the pornography industry has complained that the cost of age verification is business killing. As of August 8th of this year, similar bills had been introduced in 16 other states. The American Civil Liberties Union and the pornographic industry oppose age verification laws. Most voters, however, feel differently. The American Principles Project indicates that in swing states, 77% of voters support age verification laws like Louisiana's. 
The Louisiana law asserts that pornography may impact brain development and functioning, contribute to emotional and medical illnesses, shape deviant sexual arousal, and lead to difficulty in forming or maintaining positive intimate relationships, as well as promoting problematic or harmful sexual behaviors and addiction. Doesn't this sound like something New York government should protect our kids from? Next up, there's a new study from Denmark that adds to concerns about the impact of marijuana upon users' mental health. According to a Wall Street Journal op-ed by psychologist Susan Pinker, a mammoth study of the health records of all 6.5 million Danes over a 26-year period showed a strong correlation between cannabis or marijuana use disorder and various mental health diagnoses. According to Pinker, cannabis use disorder can be defined as craving marijuana, using it more often than intended, spending a lot of time using it, and having it interfere with friends, family, and work. The Centers for Disease Control state that approximately 30% of American marijuana users develop cannabis use disorder. The study showed that persons diagnosed with cannabis use disorder were nearly two times as likely to later be diagnosed with clinical depression. Furthermore, the study indicated that persons with cannabis use disorder were up to four times as likely to be diagnosed later with bipolar disorder with psychotic symptoms. The study also found that the amount of cannabis a person consumed was directly correlated with a higher risk of bipolar disorder with psychotic symptoms. While Pinker cautioned that the study did not answer the question of whether heavy cannabis use leads to mental illness or whether mentally ill people are more likely to use cannabis, its findings are striking. Some marijuana users may dismiss a study like this on the grounds that their usage of marijuana has not become an addiction and that the study's findings are irrelevant to their lives. The truth, however, is that no marijuana user knows for certain whether he or she will develop an addiction to the substance. Marijuana is a dangerous drug, and it places the physical and mental health of users at risk. Now switching topics, according to The Atlantic, over the past 25 years, 40 million Americans have stopped attending church. Professor Ryan Burge of Eastern Illinois University states that 45% of members of Generation Z, persons born in the 1990s or later, have no religious affiliation. On the basis of this fact and of other data, Professor Burge asserts that nearly one-third of America's 350,000 churches are on the brink of extinction, and that thousands of churches will close in the next few decades. Writer Kerry Newoff asserts that the conversation about momentum and shifting attendance trends is happening at every level of the church, including some of the largest and fastest-growing churches in North America. Writer Jake Medor adds, This change is bad news for America as a whole. Participation in a religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol, and drug dependency. Rather than dwelling on these sobering facts and predictions, Albany Update would like to ask a provocative question. Why? Why are so many Americans, including Americans who have some type of faith experience or religious observance in their backgrounds, opting out of church participation? Writers such as Jake Medor, Kerry Newoff, and others, 
have offered some possible answers to the question of why many Americans have opted out of church in recent years. While some of those answers, for example, placing excessive emphasis on one's career to the exclusion of church commitments, may point to problematic attitudes on the part of persons who choose not to attend church, others point to problems within churches themselves. Here are a few. First, bad experiences and spiritual abuse. So long as churches contain fallible, flawed human beings, people will sometimes have negative experiences in churches. Those experiences may range from relatively minor slights to outright mistreatment. Christians, let us not be afraid to ask ourselves tough questions. For example, how do we treat others at my church? Would visitors and members see that my church is characterized by kindness and Christian charity? How is conflict resolved within my church body? Has anyone ever left my church because of a sin that was committed against them? Have I failed to confess my sins I have committed against my brothers and sisters in Christ? Then there's hypocrisy and moral failure. In Matthew 23, 2 and 3, Jesus said, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. In the Gospels, Jesus unflinchingly confronted hypocrisy. Both Christians and unbelievers find hypocrisy distasteful. However, every Christian is guilty of hypocrisy because we all fall short of conducting ourselves according to Christ's teachings and example. See Romans 3.23 and Romans 7.19. So do the leaders in my church display the godly character that the Lord requires? Does my church practice what it preaches? Do I? Here's another reason. No room for doubts. After Christ rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. However, the apostle Thomas was not present at the time. Accordingly, Thomas stated that he would not believe that Christ had risen unless he touched his hands and sighed. When Jesus again appeared to the disciples, he invited Thomas to touch his hands and sighed and let go of his doubts. See John 20. Jesus did not reject Thomas for having or expressing doubts. Does my church follow his example? How about disagreements with church positions on political and social issues? It's important to be clear here. Sometimes a person may disagree with the church's biblically-based teachings, whether because that person has adopted worldly perspectives or because he simply does not wish to conform his behavior to the teachings of Scripture. Ultimately, in these situations, repentance is needed. However, there are other possibilities to consider. Does my church display harshness in our teachings on controversial topics, or do we show mercy and compassion? Does my church align itself with a political party, a political figure? Do the people in my church assume or expect that everyone in the pews shares the same political perspective or affiliation? Might a person feel unwelcome in my church if he does not share that perspective? And how about not finding community? In May 2023, the Surgeon General of the United States asserted that our nation has a loneliness epidemic. One would hope that churches would help to serve as part of the remedy for loneliness. It would be places where everyone is loved and accepted. In John 13.35, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved for one another. 1 Peter 1.22b instructs believers to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Is this the type of love present in my church? 
Is every person welcome at my church, or are some people, whether because of appearance, wealth, or other factors, more welcome than others? Do we have cliques at my church? Do I welcome newcomers at my church? Are all kinds of people welcome at my church, or do we favor people of certain ancestry or ethnic background? Do we each love each other deeply, or do we settle for shallow surface relationships? Whatever the reasons for the disconnect, Christians should commit themselves to being part of the solution. And finally, last week I celebrated my wedding anniversary, and I simply posted something on social media that seemed to draw quite a response. Here's what I posted alongside a picture from my wedding day. I said, so we did a thing. It was 27 years ago, but still we did a thing. If I could go back, I'd still do the thing. People tell you that doing a thing like this doesn't matter. Love is all that does. Not true. I love this woman more than anything else in life, even more than my own life. Still, the thing matters. Standing before our friends and family, taking our vows, exchanging rings, it mattered. She can go through life knowing that no matter what, I will be there for her. I go through life knowing that when everything else seems broken, there is still us. There are no escape hatches or exit clauses. The thing matters. It roots us. It reminds us that there is something bigger than just the sum of our two parts. On that day, we chose each other over self. The two became one. So use the word. Embrace it. Strengthen it. Encourage it. Celebrate it. Marriage matters. Maybe this struck such a nerve because the culture at large desperately wants to be reminded that marriage still matters. You have been listening to the Albany Update, hosted by the Reverend Jason J. McGuire, Executive Director of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms exists to influence legislation and legislators for the Lord Jesus Christ. To learn more about this ministry, issues you've heard on the program, or to make a financial contribution in support of New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms, visit albanyupdate.com or call 585-225-2340. Additionally, you can mail correspondence to P.O. Box 107, Spencerport, New York, 14559. You can receive the latest legislative updates at facebook.com slash albanyupdate. Follow New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms on Twitter at Albany Update or sign up to receive the weekly Albany Update email by texting the word FREEDOM to 22828.